This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Presented by Liquid Spirits Beverage Catering Company. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 71 of Small Talk. I'm Michelle Smallman. And after 71 episodes, I'm sure by now you know that I'm the host of this podcast. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and awesome long weekend. It's always weird to come back to work after you've been hanging out drinking, eating too much, relaxing for about four or five days. After Thanksgiving, I actually went up to Chicago, hung out with my friends from college, and I have a few Chicago notes. You're going to want to pay attention to this, so listen up. Number one, hot tip. If you're in Chicago anytime soon, you got to hit up Monte Verde Restaurant. Here's what you do. You sit at the bar. They have chefs making fresh pasta there. There's a mirror on the ceiling so you can watch them do it. Wait, let me rephrase that. You can watch them make the pasta. I heard it as soon as I said it. Here's the real tip, though. Get the burrata and get the tortelloni di zucca. One of the best meals that I've had in a long time. You're welcome. Tip or nugget number two. I also had a late night at a holiday pop-up bar called Frosty's. I ran into a ton of friends from college. It was actually a really fun, random collection of people that knew each other. We're hanging out. We're having a few cocktails. We're having a blast. The bars are closing. We say, yo, where can we go late night? Someone pulls up Yelp or something of that nature, suggests, hey, there's this holiday pop-up bar called Frosty's. It's open until 3 a.m. So we hit up Frosty's. And let me tell you, Being at a Christmas bar like that past 1 a.m., things get super weird. So do that at your own risk. Finally, my friends and I that studied abroad together in Italy, every holiday season we have a Christmas celebration. We get together, hang out, do a Secret Santa. And this year, instead of Secret Santa, my friend Dave said, listen, instead of giving each other chotskis that are part of an inside joke that none of us really want to keep, why don't we give ourselves the gift of Celine, aka Celine Dion, who was playing that Sunday night at the United Center. Now, don't get me wrong. I've always liked Celine's music. I think she's so incredibly talented, but I never died for Celine like some people do. Uh, as Sarudi and I mock, I never stand for Celine. So heading into this, I thought, eh, this concert could just be meh. I might regret ponying up the dough for this, but she is an icon. Let's check her out. I haven't been wrong about something like I was wrong about Celine in a long time. Celine killed it. She has the voice of an angel. I forgot how many awesome hits she has. Also, what really made the concert, she's a little wacky, a little unpredictable. When she got on the mic to chat with everyone, she kept... (laughs) I can't even say. She kept saying, shy town like a diamond, as in a hybrid between the Rihanna song and the Chicago nickname. Odd. But if you have the chance to see her, do it. You will not regret it. So now that I got all of my Chicago tips that no one asked for off my chest, on to this week's interview. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you without this week's guest. He gave me my very first start in radio. He's been one of my biggest champions throughout my career. I was first his producer, then his co-host, and he's my colleague and friend. He's been one of the most valued and respected voices in sports, both locally and nationally. And I'm honestly not even going to try to list all of his accomplishments because that's going to be the entirety of this podcast. But I am thrilled to welcome in Bernie Miklas to Small Talk this week. Bernie, hello. I'm like sitting here giggling. <laughs> Because right before we started this, you said like, I don't, you know, I've never really interviewed you all the, all the time we've spent together. Yeah. Like, How weird and, is that? And I'm thinking, yeah, this is, yeah, I'm like giggling. So 
It's like kind of fun. I know. And <laughs> it's an interesting, not power shift, but I feel like even when we were co-hosting, you were always the driver. Yeah. So now to have me kind of driving it, it feels unnatural. <laughs> I'll be happy to chime in any, 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 anything you need. So no, this will be fun. And I appreciate, um, uh, everything you're doing at the station. I wanted to say that oh, I, I, I appreciate our history together when long time ago you produced and gosh, I was so fortunate to have Ben Boyd and you helping me out, getting me through uh, that crazy lifestyle of mine. So yeah, we're, uh, it's, it's always good to be with you, Michelle. Well, I'm glad you said that, you know, people, as soon as I left the show and took this new gig, they're like, is everything okay oh, with you I and know. Bernie? I yeah. was like, Yes, it's fine. I don't know that anybody wants us to get into this stuff, but it's like our station is not just what you hear on the air. Any great station's got now social media is a huge component. Component The site is a huge component. Mm -hmm. Video is a huge component. Podcasts are a huge component. There's so many things that go into it. So the point is just because you don't hear someone on the air doing a show or that a show changes and one of the voices isn't there anymore it doesn't mean that there is a there's been a falling out or there's been like oh this uh we, we have to change that no it, it's just be your services i sit on that show 3 hours a day and just run my mouth like nonstop and it's like it was kind of a waste of your talent so <laughs> the, you are starting to do things around here i won't go into details but and it, and it's it's kind of it's it's hard to move that boat in the water you yeah know? definitely it's hard to get that ship moving and turned around in the water but you're starting to do it and and I, I tell you what, the next year or so is going to be really cool to see all the things popping up. It already Some things have already started, but some things, kind of a re, uh, repurposed radio station that includes all those other things that I talked about. Anyway, yeah. enough of that. It's going to be fun. Enough of the marketing. Enough of the marketing. But I'm glad that we stated that at the beginning. Okay, so when I was thinking about this interview with you, I thought, okay, there's so many things I want to do with Bernie. I want to talk about you as a person. I want to talk about your amazing career. You have better stories than anyone I've ever met in my entire life. I can't remember all of them. That's a problem. <laughs> it's like, and randomly they'll pop up when I'm on the air usually. And pr usually almost every time right before I'm supposed to go to a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's never, true. Never at the beginning of a segment, at the end. When and I was I'm like, like, I need go to ahead, break. go ahead. I know, so. <laughs> so I was thinking, I was reading Vanity Fair over the weekend, and at the end, they have the Prost questionnaire sure. uh, from another great writer, Marcel Prost. And I was like, okay, so maybe I can come up with a, my own version of uh -oh. that and pull out some I'm different scared. questions. I'm scared. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do kind right. of a questionnaire. Okay, question number one. Bernie, who is the biggest character you've ever covered? Oh my goodness! Uh, let me think. Think fast. Think fast. Think. Fast. Rick Majerus has got to be near the top of the list, if not the very top. They're all characters in their own way. Mike Martz was a, was a character. Mm -hmm. Tony Larusa was a character. Going back to my Baltimore days, I mean Earl Weaver was a character. One of the great managers ever. I learned the game just watching his teams growing up, and then was terrified to go in the clubhouse for the first time as like a nineteen year old reporter. And after the game, he's eating crab cakes and sliced tomatoes, and he's like cussing at reporters and crab cakes flying through the air. I was terrified. But anyway, uh, guys, like stuff like that. But also, then there are characters that, you know, are kind of scary, too. Like where you're like, whoa, you know, I had, uh, I actually, <laughs> there was a guy playing for the Rams who uh, got cut basically after something that I wrote uh, about his conduct in the locker room after a game. And they cut him the next day. So for years, and nobody knew about this, or like I haven't talked about this much for years, um, I would get these ominous notes from him. What? And at one point I got a call from NFL security and <laughs> and said like, we take this seriously. He's like, you know, we think he could be a threat to you. And I'm like, uh, 
what? Like you just said, what? And it, uh, thank God nothing happened. But yeah, it was kind of weird. Can you say who it is? Or are you too afraid? No, to I don't know. Because then if it comes up again, and I'm no coward, trust yeah. me. But it's like, why go there? You know, so. I don't blame you. I mean, you know, stuff like that. Um, wow. I, I've had ca- characters that I, to this day, I don't know. Uh, you know, who would, uh, when I was working at KMOX, you know, phoning in death threats. I had St. Louis police uh, taking me back and forth to work for a few days. You know, th- those are characters too. Right? Without a doubt. I had a guy one time who I did later get to know, which sounds weird, uh, who on Christmas Day dropped off a note at the Post Dispatch and basically told me that I think you're the enemy of America and. I've fought for this country, so you're my enemy. This is on Christmas Day. What a gift. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, happy holidays. You know, so... Like, Not exactly the Christmas card you were know, hoping to get. It's like, you know, where's... <laughs> the silver bells are ringing, you know? <laughs> Apparently attached to a revolver anyway. <laughs> so, no, but strangely enough, I actually found out who this was, and we act... He was okay, just a little high-strung. Yeah. Anyway, like so it. yeah, characters in all all shapes and sizes. So, so we're gonna go all over with these questions. All right. What is your most treasured possession? Um. Oh man, is that a great question? There's two ways to answer it. I know you want to you want a quick answer. Um. From a sports standpoint, I have a a, a football autograph by the two Heisman Trophy winners at Navy, Roger Staubach and Joe Bellino. It's always really special to me because I just my childhood and my grandparents and grand and my father and everything like that. Um, but th- maybe this comes with age. Some of my favorite, one of my, my, it's not one possession. I have photos now that we found of my like grandparents, my grand, you know, grandmother, the one that had the store that taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. My grand Polish grandfather, you know, I think I started to love cigars because of him. And then people would say, well, geez, that's a bad influence. No, he didn't give me cigars, but just being around him. Um, as you get older, and I look, I know I'm speaking to you, to someone who gets it. Yeah. Um, as you get older, uh, those things, the, the the memories of your childhood and all the impact that people made on your life, it becomes just a lot sweeter and dearer and more more powerful. Oh, and yeah. So things like that are, those are, they're just a photo, but they are incredibly powerful, valuable possessions. So I just look at several of those photos as one group. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't have a great answer there, but. No, that's mine too. Um, My grandmother and I were super close and her birthday was two days before mine and I was her first grandchild. And um, the last birthday that we celebrated together, she gave me a card. And it had a painting on the front. And she wrote inside and she said, I've been saving this for a special occasion. And I realized that you've always been my special occasion. And that no matter where I go, I'll always be with you. And if there was a fire in my apartment, it's the one thing I would grab before I left. And, you know, I made the mistake like a lot of people do. And I don't want to... I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression. I, I didn't throw anything out. It's just sometimes, gosh things just get lost. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, I know I had things along those lines that, you know, maybe a note for my uh, maternal grandfather who was an influence on me as well Mm -hmm. because he loved to write and he was just a high school dropout. He was a poor kid in Norfolk, Virginia, but yet managed to build a great life. He was always an inspiration to me, but, and he loved to write. He would write letters to the editor and he's very elaborate things. And he, I, I showed him 
the first story I ever wrote for for the Baltimore News American, which he subscribed to, and he was. Uh, he cried at the kitchen. He was always read the paper at the kitchen table. He cried. He was so proud because that's, and he wrote me a note after that, like, you know, within the, the next two weeks. And it was one of my cherished possessions. I don't know where it is. Oh, no. I know. It's terrible. I'm sure it's somewhere. You'll find it. When you least expect it, it'll pop up. Because it'd be the last thing in the world I'd throw out. Sure. But all these moves and here mm-hmm. and there, it's just, it's a shame. But I'm more along the lines of, you know, sentimental things. And the older I get, the more sentimental I become. Me too. Okay, next one. So you obviously have been a columnist, a writer in St. Louis forever. You've been the voice of St. Louis for a long time. So I want to know what's more difficult. Now I'm just the loud voice. (laughs) No, in that vein, (laughs) writing on a deadline, knowing that everyone the next morning is waiting to hear what Mm -hmm. you have to say or filling three hours of radio by yourself. I think it's writing on a deadline um, because of the immense pressure. And like you said, now newspapers have changed, obviously. Now online, because of like at STL today, I mean, you can stay after the the print deadlines pass and you can update and, and rewrite and do whatever you have to do. Even if you're sitting there till four in the AM, it's worth it because you know exactly what you said. People are waiting for it and it's an honor to, to, to fulfill their hopes or whatever. Um, but before the before the 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 digital age became as prevalent as it is now, I mean, those deadlines were killer. And I always viewed it as I told people this. I said, "Yeah, we're unfortunately uh, I was never a great athlete in terms of ever having a chance to come come up to the plate with bottom of the ninth and there's a runner on third and you know the game's tied or my team's behind behind by a run and I got to come through." But this is my version of that. You know, I've got I was at like that and that. Uh, uh, North Carolina, Michigan, NCAA championship game where Chris Weber called the timeout that Michigan didn't have. I was sitting right there. The good news is I saw something where all of our jaws are dropping. We couldn't believe what we just saw. And just seeing Chris Weber's expression, him realizing what he did, a very famous moment, as you know, yeah. in NCAA Final Four history. In sports the, history. In sports history. The bad news is, is that I had to get a column in in like 20 minutes. Oh, no. And I got it in maybe 25 and can I tell you this? Because this is, I'm yeah, bragging now. Do. The column was so good, filed 20 to 25 minutes after all that happened, that the editor of the paper the next day was walking around saying, I, no, I can't believe that he wrote this. Like this, like he almost was implying that I somehow lifted it from someone or something. Like he just, he couldn't process in his mind how I was able to file that in like 20 to 25 minutes. He, he was like, well, this is impossible. How did he, this is impossible. How did he do that? You know, and Bob Bragg, who was a legendary St. Louis sports writer, ni- nicest compliment I ever got. He said, uh, he said, kid, anybody can write a, a pretty good column. If you got hours, he says, you separate the men from the boys when you got about 20 minutes, you know, he says, and you can do it. You, you got the gift. And I, and I remember thinking I was, I took such great pride in that deadline writing, you know, because it's so hard. It's excruciating. You have a big moment, you know, the David Freeze home run, game six. I mean, even before that, some of these great Cardinals games way back when. Yeah, I mean, some football games, things that, again, before digital was as prominent as this. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, if you didn't come through, man, I mean, it's an epic failure. You can't go online and then recreate it or right. update it or make it better. It's like a flop. So. And you would have editors screaming at you, and you know you're going to let the readers down. And every now and then I would get sort of that that writer's block thing. And there's no worse feeling in the world professionally 
because you're choking basically, and you're like, "What's wrong with me? Why can't I?" So I, I you know, I went through a couple of those phases, and that was not pleasant. I remember, again, if I'm telling another story now, so Brian, the great Brian Burwell, my friend, the late great Brian Burwell, I was going through a phase like that where I just was having a hard time on deadline for the first time in my career, and I was getting a lot of grief from editors, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And he and he knew that he could see the pain it was causing me, and he just said. Uh, he said, "You tell me when you're going to file your column, and um, I'm going to I'm going to send mine in right after yours." Meaning that this guy was so generous and kind and and unselfish that he was going to say, "Hey, I'm your teammate, and it, you're suffering through this, and I'm not going to let you hang. We're 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 going to do this together." That's awesome. I know. So I mean. Again, one story always leads to another, but no, that uh, no question. Look, it's hard to do uh, talk radio three hours a day because of the hours, as you know. If I were doing a midday show, and I'm not implying that it's easy to do a midday show or an afternoon drive show, I'm not implying that at all. It's not easy to do any show by yourself, right? But ever. but but then you know you have a complete lifestyle change. I've always been a night owl, mm-hmm. even as a kid, a night owl, and then all of a sudden now I'm getting up at two thirty a.m., three a.m. It just tears you up that part. It's so physically demanding. It kills you. I know. So. It literally almost killed me. <laughs> so awful. that part's hard too, but no, I'm, I've, I, I'm blessed. I, you know, all of this is hard in some way, but I'm blessed. I exceeded my expectations a long time ago. So since you picked columns and we're talking about deadlines, what's the column or story that you've written that you're most proud of? My goodness. That's so hard. Um, there's, there's some personal stuff that's very important to me, uh, writing a tribute to my late father. That's one. Writing my farewell column at the Post-Dispatch is another one. I wrote about a youth soccer coach who, who had a battle with cancer and uh, to me was very heroic how he just kept climbing out of bed, sick as could be, would coach the kids, this Catholic school in my neighborhood, uh, Catholic grade school. And I, I told his wife, I said, I would like to write about him. And, um, because I think people need to know that these, what these coaches do is they're, they're, the, they're the overlooked heroes in sports. Nobody knows. You know, they don't make any money. They do it out of love. That's, that's you know, mm-hmm. and they do it to try to, in their own way, make their community better. And um, the, um, so I wrote this piece and he was, he was basically in his final couple, three days. And like, maybe this is really, you know, kind of syrupy, but it's true. You know, the, he, uh, you know, he's basically on his deathbed. He had about a couple hours to live, and, and his wife read him that column, and he tears were coming down his his uh, cheeks. So that that's not one that won an award. It's not about a famous athlete, but to know that I'm not. Look, it's weird because it sounds like I'm trying to make myself a hero. I'm not at all. But it's like to know that a, you know a dying man who was a noble man, an unselfish man, a wonderful man. To know that. He he, kind of. I was able to do a minor thing, to so he knew his life mattered. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I. That's probably number one overall. I mean, because of it's so personal. It's really impactful. And, and 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 all the sporting events, though. My gosh, I mean, I could just. I can't even catalog them all. I mean, I just. I have a bunch of favorite ones, and it isn't because of my writing or like, oh, Bernie, you did great. It's just because I was at this these great events, mm-hmm. history just huge epic things and just having a chance to write about all those they go in one bundle of favorite columns just because I had the privilege of being there after you gave such an eloquent answer I feel badly for my next question (laughs) no no, that's all right. (laughs) I want to know who in sports in your entire career do you just loathe the most 
who's deplorable to you? Oh, gosh. I know that's kind of a random question, but as I was preparing this interview, I was thinking about you. And, of course, you have been there to narrate all the big moments for us. Of course, you have been there to tell us about the good guys. But you're really connected, and you know what's going on behind the scenes. You know a lot of the real stories that you can't necessarily write. And in sports, there are tons of heroes, but there's also tons of villains. And for someone like you, who really knows the true essence of a lot of people, that's interesting to me, who you think is a bad guy. Can I be a a punk and not name names? Yeah, that's okay. Um, There's a profile that that I loathe, if that makes sense. It's people who, as you say, they talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I like flawed people because I'm a flawed person, right? You know, I, I think our imperfections are what make us interesting and, and sort of present a daily challenge. And that's healthy because you're never, you're never going to go through life where everything works perfect all the time. You're always going to be fighting this internal fight. Sure. Um, I can't stand people, though, who... who take great pains to concoct some kind of public image. And and I know that they're completely different. Now, there are exceptions. A Kurt Warner is exactly what you see, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there are so many athletes that I've covered where it's like if people only knew. Oh, yeah. You know? And again, it's not fair to name names. I'm not a coward, but it's just not fair. And I just, I just detest phonies like that. I just detest them. I can't stand it. You know, you know, give, give me a scalawag, you know, give me a jerk. Give me a, someone who's openly flawed. I can deal with that. I can't stand phonies who want you to believe there's something that they are absolutely not. There, there's some, again, I can't even tell, tell these stories, but just some of the stuff you see traveling with teams. Oh, I can't even imagine. You know, um, I've heard some stories, but I've never traveled with the team. You know, you you you'd be out having a cocktail. My my a girlfriend that I was a girlfriend for several years when I was in between marriages would went to a trip, went on a trip with me one time to Chicago, and I'm we're we're drinking after the game, and I excuse myself to go to the men's room, and a, a, like a player's hitting on her, and like blatantly hitting on her, not even trying to be subtle. A married guy, of course. And of I'm course. like, yeah, okay. Not surprised, right? I know. <laughs> Millions of stories like that. I'm sure. Yeah, so anyway. I thought you were just going to say Stan Kroenke, slam dunk. Well, now that you mention it, <laughs> no, um, when we talk about that, I mean, that's at a different level. Um, the two worst charlatans that I've ever covered are Roger Goodell and Stan Kroenke. You know why? Because they both lied to me. Mm-hmm. And they lied to me about something very, very, very important. I'm glad you brought that up. Seriously. Because that's an obvious answer and a correct answer. And to your face lied yeah. too. And people always say, well, boy, you got the whole Rams thing wrong. And that calls me to this day because I didn't think they were going to move. You got the commissioner of the NFL looking at me at the eye at dinner, cussing. Mm-hmm. Saying, why the bleeps do I, why the bleep do we need LA? Yeah, convincingly. Bleep LA, you. screw LA. You know, oh, they're not going anywhere. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I believe you. Cronky calling me up. You know, why, I don't understand all this. You know, why, why do you and other people think I moved this team? I didn't, I didn't move, help move this team here to move it out. You know, I, I just really take exception to it. I, I'm not, I'm not interested in moving this. Just absolutely lying, mm-hmm. you know. Look, there are little lies, little white lies. I get it. That's part of life. But we're talking about big stuff. People looking you right in the eye. 
and faking indignation and anger that such a thing would even be possible. How dare you even suggest that? And look, I know people lie all the time, but you don't expect them to lie so brazenly. Call me naive. But if you would have seen, if you would have heard Cronky's voice that day on the phone, and if you would have seen Roger Goodell that night, you, you would have said, yeah, I very convincing. And these are people that you had known for a oh, while. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's not like it was your first encounter with them. So absolutely. you have a really good BS meter. And, no doubt. And you're like, I know this person. Why would he seek me out to lie to me this yeah, way? Yeah, you know, I was invited out by the commissioner. I didn't invite myself. Right. Because he wanted to talk about St. Louis. He was confused by Kroenke. He, did, he, can't, he didn't understand Kroenke. He, doesn't, he didn't trust Kroenke. And in the, in the middle of all that, he basically made it clear that no, we're keeping that team there. You know, we don't need L.A. What, why do we need L.A.? But he used really salty language. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll forever feel burned by that. But then again, shame on me. You can't trust people like that. That's my first, That was my mistake. But unfortunately, you didn't know you couldn't trust them until they burned you, right? Yeah. It's kind of the yeah. chicken or the egg. That's right. That's you know? right. But, and, and then the person who came here who had an awful reputation actually turned out to be a, just delightful, Georgia Frontier. Just honorable, sweet to people. I was out in public with her a lot, and she um, treated everyone wonderfully. Never looked down on anyone, never acted like she was above anyone. I mean, just very generous. Uh, A great time as far as just company, conversation, fun. And people say, well, that's not appropriate. Actually, it was. Mm -hmm. You have a chance to spend time with the owner of a team. You find out things. You ask things off the record. It's still something that you have in your notebook, in your mind. And uh, she, she was great. She was great. Did I ever tell you? I, I think I told you that one story. It's one of my favorite stories. Which one? They were moving to, to St. Louis, and they had a rally downtown. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't actually moved here yet. They were about to. This was just sort of to, to celebrate the fact that they were on their way. It was all official and everything else. So this was the Saturday before Easter, and she said, well, where do you live? And I said, well, I live in Skinker de Bolivar. I live right here and here. And she says, oh, my gosh, I grew up in that neighborhood. And I didn't know whether to believe her at the time. I never, I, I never knew um, until you get to know someone. And she said, yeah, I went to Hamilton School. And uh, she said, what church do you go to? I said, St. Rock. She said, oh, that was my church. And she said, you know, I used to go, I, I would go to the rectory and, and go to Sunday school. And and, all, and she said, oh, I love that place. It's dark. Are you going to go to church tomorrow for Easter? So I said, uh, I, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I probably wasn't planning. <laughs> yeah, you're to. like, now I am. <laughs> yeah. She says, well, can I go with you? And so I'm like, oh, this ought to be fun. I said, well, of course. So anyway, I'll try to make this short. Uh, Monsignor Polizzi, he was a pastor, still is there. Okay. I told him, I said, look, good news is Georgia Frontier is coming. Good news on top of that. She loves this church. She grew up in this church. You need the new air conditioning? Here's your girl. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And not to be crass. And I said, the bad news is she always runs notoriously late. Well, the mass starts at 10 a.m. I I said, she always runs late. This is her MO. Uh, I'll do the best I can to get here on time. So, of course, she's late. How late? It's like 5 after 10. He's out front. Well, where is she? I can't hold up this mass. It's Easter Sunday. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, look, Monsignor, please trust me. This will be in your best interest long term, you know. And um, it's like 10 after and it's maybe like 
14 or 15 after 10, you know, a Lincoln town car pulls up and she gets out. So, so the mass is delayed. He's fuming. I walk in and I'm sort of sheepish about the whole thing because I feel I'm responsible for this. Anyway, so I thought I was just going to walk in and she would walk in. No, she, I had to like escort her down. <laughs> She grabbed my arm and it was like I was escorting her down. Like she was like Jack, like Queen Elizabeth. And I don't say that with malice. No, I, mean, I know. And every, my whole neighborhood, everyone in the church, they're all like staring and they're looking at me. And I, I wanted to just die. I wanted to just crawl into a hole. But no, now I laugh about it. That was a beautiful story. And yeah. Through the years, she took great care of that church. <laughs> so I I was right when I told these 15 minutes will be worth it. Trust me. So anyway. Monsignor uh, was pumped that he listened to you, I'm yeah, sure. Monsignor would start taking road trips with the Rams, too. No oh, way. Yeah, he had, yeah, he, team chaplain? Oh, yeah, okay. team chaplain and all that. Anyway, long stories, but uh, they pop up. I can't help it. I think I'm defeating this uh, questionnaire. No, it's great. This is exactly um, <laughs> what I wanted is for it to pull these stories out of you. Okay, so who is an athlete or celebrity that you've had cocktails with that you say that person is just the best hang, the best time? Chris Pronger. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hockey guys always are. I'm trying to think of some baseball guys. Yeah, there, there's been like the Joe McEwing types and some pitchers and maybe not necessarily the biggest names. Chris Pronger was an adventure, man. He just, uh, I don't know how else to put it. It was just an adventure because he, I would tell him this if he was in the studio now, he doesn't hold his alcohol very well. (laughs) So you never knew where this was going to go, but he was a great hang because he was gregarious and he was loud and he was funny and he had a great sense of humor and you would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. So, I mean, he, he definitely was one of them. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I would just say that's, that's it. I mean, there's been other guys too, but I, he'd be top of the list. So you've told me over the years stories about different events you've gone to. You always find yourself with an interesting collection of people. Yeah. So can you remember a time where you looked around a room and you thought, wow, look at all these different people in this room. The, ni- the night before, and it's a bad event because it was the night before the Rams lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots. I got invited out by Georgia to be part of the dinner, like the private dinner. So, and again, this is now not as charming a story as it was at the time because mm-hmm. it involves the Cronkies and the Walt. But, and so I, we were at Commander's Palace and this private thing and it's just lovely, you know, and I'm sitting there with, um, uh, gosh, what was her name now? I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I mean, totally stupid. Oh, Leah Thompson, her husband, who was a director. I look over in the corner, there's a couple famous actors, um, then all these different tables. It's basically the entire Walton family. And I remember talking to my girlfriend at the time, and I'm like, I wonder what the net worth is of this room, this mm-hmm. room. What would the net worth possibly be? You know, it's just like billions and billions and billions. Of, and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, <laughs> and everyone was as nice as could be. Don't get me wrong. And that, and I, that's why I can't say, because you would ask like, well, what actors? I can't give out the name because... One of my favorite sports writing stories, this actor, very famous, comes up to me, says, yeah, you're the sports writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I, I I put a lot of money on the Rams to cover. You know, what do you think? I said, I'm not getting into this. He says, no, no, what do you think? I said, I'm not getting into this because whatever I tell you, if you don't win your bet, you're going to be mad at me. Sure. I, I don't want to get involved. No, no, I really want to. I said, no, they're, they're going to win the game. It'll be close. They're not going to cover. Why do you say that? I said, I got my reasons. 
And I said, there's no way in hell that they're going to cover. And he said, well, it, it, you know, I said, they're having a good time this week, maybe too good of a time. But, but I said, beyond that, when the Rams played the, the Patriots in Foxborough, the Rams outgained them like 500, like, and I don't remember the number. They outgained them like 500 yards to 250. And yet the, the Rams barely hung on. And that tells you something. Mm-hmm. They barely hung on to win that game. Belichick, and once you give Belichick a chance to sort of understand what he's up against, the rematch, he's always better. I said, so they're not going to cover. Now, I didn't think they were going to lose a game. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got a call from the, uh, the actor days later thanking me because he changed his investment. Yeah. We're like, where's my piece? <laughs> <laughs> I said something to that effect. <laughs> I'm like, well, when you come to St. Louis, we'll hang. You know, there was silence. <laughs> yeah, why don't we hang? And uh, yeah, d- d- kind of, kind of that uncomfortable silence for a few seconds. You know, so he's oh, like, uh, that'll be great. Yeah, he's like, no, no, you served your purpose. Thank you. That was one of my favorite sport writing stories. Okay, next question. A lot of people would describe you as their favorite writer, so I want to know who is your favorite writer. Are you talking about sports? Just in general. Someone who you look at them and you say, wow, what a talent. Oh, my goodness. Again, that's another. Michelle, you get, you're get just stumping me left and right. Um, I love uh, I love Hunter Thompson. I mean, he got burned out at the end. That's one that comes to mind. I love a biographer. I love presidential biographies. You know, really swinging times, huh? Uh, Robert Cairo, who did this series on Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson. It's like, a, well, by now, I think it's like five parts, five books, uh, stuff like that. Um you know, I'll always love my favorite books. It's just like a lot of people that grew up at this time when came of age at a certain time. Uh, Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, I love Faulkner. I love the Southern authors. Uh, a, a guy named Willie Morris was brilliant. Um, let me think some more. I mean, again, this is one of those things that I know I'm missing like 20 people. There's so many writers I love. And I'm doing a poor job of, of recollecting all of them. But I just, uh, I love people that have a keen eye and a sharp wit, you know, and, and it could be someone who is a, a newspaper columnist that not really famous. There was a guy in Philadelphia, it was a really street savvy guy named Pete Dexter, just brilliant, just couldn't get enough of his writing, you know. So I got a pretty eclectic uh, taste and a pretty extensive library and there's a little bit of everything in there. That's why I wanted to ask you that yeah. question, because I know you don't just, quote, stick to sports. And that's why it's hard for me to kind of just summon four or five names, because I'm, I'm flipping in my mind through all these, through my bookshelves, you know, mm-hmm. and thinking, there's just, there's so many, there's so many. Inspired by writing is one of the reasons why I'm a writer. Just love to read books as a kid. Mm-hmm. Just love to read books. Me too. Okay, Bernie, who's the St. Louis sports figure you learned the most from? Um, Tony La Russa. Whitey Herzog, honorable mention, but Tony La Russa, who... Despite the, the sort of cranky guy who would show contempt sometimes after games on, on the televised news conferences because he was in a bad mood because they lost, that image that formed through TV was not accurate of who he really was and is. If he thought that your, your intentions were sincere, if you wanted to know why he did something and you really wanted to learn his thinking— and what went into a decision, even if the decision blew up, if he thought that you really wanted to know, you weren't doing it to play gotcha. Mm-hmm. If you really, on, a, on, on an intellectual level, wanted to have a serious baseball discussion, he would sit there and peel back the onion for 20 minutes about everything that went into a decision. Or if you had a topic that he found to be particularly interesting, like 
what about pitch counts? Are we wrong to just use raw numbers? He would be so invigorated by the discussion. I mean, he would, it would be a great discussion, like 15, 20 minutes. And, and I learned from him, for example, uh, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you, you're not going to go crazy with letting a guy throw 150 pitches, but you can have a guy throw 75 pitches, and it's, it's a lot more strain on his arm than if he throws 105. It depends on, like, are these high-pressure pitches? Are they tight situations? Mm-hmm. Is it where you have to go maximum intensity for inning after inning after inning because the game's so close and so much is happening? You know, so, I mean, I learned a million things about baseball from him. I learned a lot from Earl Weaver by watching Earl Weaver. Tony LaRusso, who believed in a lot of the Earl Weaver principles, taught me so much just because of my own curiosity. And he understood that for the most part, I was sincere. Yeah, we got into it a lot, but it was never over those kinds of discussions. But I think he, from what I've learned from you, respected that you weren't afraid to challenge him. Yeah, I mean, we, it was really, uh, <laughs> I, mi- I really miss covering him because he was just uh, 16 years. That's a long time. Strong personality, stubborn personality, you know, loves conflict in a way. And he would always like, we would get into it a couple times a year. And I said, Tony, there's one newspaper in town. You're the manager of the baseball team. It's a religion here. Of course, we're going to we're gonna get into conflicts. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. It's not to me. Because he would always worry that, you know, there'd be some grudge setting in. No. And that was one of the wonderful things about him, too. You could get into these things, and then the next day it was pretty much forgotten. And he was really, really good in that way. And I, uh, he's really funny, too. Just what a character. Just absolutely. We had a system. He would get so mad at me over stuff that I wrote sometimes, and I wasn't there right away. Like, I look, I know you're supposed to go down there the next day after you write. But look, sometimes it'd be like, you know what? I'll be down there the day after. I'm not afraid of anybody. And he knew that I wasn't afraid of anybody. But he would get so frustrated. He said, yeah, one of the things, you know, I just want to kill you sometimes. I, and all I want to do is vent. He says, I, I, you know, I just want to vent. I said, here, here's what you do. Here's my phone number. You, I think you have it. You call me. You leave me a voicemail. You can cuss me out. We can talk, but if, if you get voicemail, you can curse at me. You can call me names. I won't take it personally. You just need to vent. You vent. We started that system. <laughs> this would have been about like 2009, 2010. We started that system, and it was like perfect. We never had a problem after that. He would call me up, Bernie, there's Tony. I thought that column was, can I cuss? Yeah, of course. I thought that column was bullshit. <laughs> you know, let me tell you why it was bullshit. <laughs> you know, and then would, would would go down this list of grievances, and I loved it. And it, it, like, cured what was ailing in our relationship. He just needed to know he could get me and basically holler at me, even if it was on the phone. It's free therapy. I know, man. It's it's, he's, he was funny, man. That was a really good Tony LaRusso impression, because when I produced for you, and I would have to book him, yeah. I, he was a phone guy, so yeah. you would call him, leave him a voicemail, <laughs> and, like, God forbid I went to a workout class, I'd get a voicemail from him being like, Michelle. Tony LaRusso. It's Tony. Tony LaRusso. <laughs> and just the tone in his voice, you'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> and you know, it's funny. Um, I was defending a Cardinals manager. It might have been Matheny, believe it or not. And um, I said, look, even the great Tony LaRusso screwed up some playoff games. And I recounted one. And there was one that's in particular very sensitive to him. And I swear to God, so this might have been 2014 or 12, I, I don't know what it was. It was, it was during the Matheny years. I swear if I don't get a call, <laughs> I don't get a call. He'd been retired like four, like three or four years at least. Bernie, it's Tony. 
you know, I don't know why you keep writing about that. <laughs> We've been over this a million times, you know. <laughs> he wanted to go through it one more time. And I said, you're never going to change my mind. I respect the hell out of you, you know. It was his decision not to start Andy Bennis. Oh. They had a 3-1 lead over Atlanta in the 1996 uh, NLCS, chance to go to the World Series against the Yankees. Andy Bennis was good. He didn't start him in any of the final three games. And to this day, I'll never understand it. He gave me convoluted reasoning. I didn't quite buy it. But anyway, he still wants to fight that fight. He's He is, uh, what a character. That fire burns for him always. He's the best. He is the best. Okay, two more. So working with you, I know that you know everything that's going on. People are always calling you. Maybe not as much as I used to. But you always have the info. Yeah. When you talk about your opinions on things, it's an informed opinion. For the most part. For the Sometimes most part. I get heat of the moment type, sure. you know. Is there a story or information that you've ever had off the record that you wish you could have told or gone with? Um, great question. Well, there's there's been a lot of them. Maybe no blockbuster types. Uh, one time, and this is a, one of my favorite stories too, one time I was able to negotiate a, a deal though. I found out that the Blues were going to hire, and this was a huge bombshell at the time. I found out through a really good source and then another source that the Blues were about to shock the world and they were going to hire Mike Keenan as their head coach. Now, Mike Keenan, again, it's one of those things now in retrospect, well, what's the big deal? He was terrible here. Okay, that's not the point. They He had just won the Stanley Cup for the Rangers, and he was pissed off at the Rangers over some contract thing. And the Blues, very, very much on the down low, were sneaking around, and they had a meeting in a Cleveland, the Cleveland airport. St. Louis Blues, New York Rangers coach, Cleveland airport, yeah. what? And I found out about it, and I'll never forget calling um, Jack Quinn, president of the team, and I said, look, are you guys in serious discussions with Mike Keenan? Silence. I knew I had him. And he said, well, you know, I don't, we don't talk about stuff. And I said, well, that's a, I'm going to take that as a yes, because if the answer was no, you would just say no. Yeah. I don't, let me get back to you. And I'm like, okay. So Mike Shanahan called. And so like he said, look, this will ruin the whole thing. If you write this, this will ruin the whole thing. It, it, it'll create this thing where the Rangers are going to like file an injunction, his contract and all this. You can't write this. I said, well, look, I can't sit on the information. It's a huge story. Let me get back to you. So half an hour goes by, Shanahan calls me back. We had a great relationship, Avi. He says, all right, here, here's the thing. Would, would you be willing to make a deal? I said, what's the deal? <laughs> it, he's, if he comes to St. Louis in a clandestine way, you can join us for dinner. You can interview him. No one in the world knows about this. And then you can write the exclusive story. And I said, are you are you serious about this? You're, you're not just telling me this. You have to honor this or we'll be enemies forever. You have our word. This is how it'll work. And that's what I did. And there's wow. this, people woke up the next day to a 1A story in the Post-Dispatch just like, what? <laughs> and, and they were right. All hell broke loose in, in New York. The Rangers were going to sue him. It was, a, it was a dispute about his contract. He claimed he had a contract clause that is that they didn't pay him a bonus or something. So the contract was null and void. The, the Rangers said no. New, New York went nuts. The papers were going nuts. Everyone was going nuts. I can't I imagine. had the story exclusively and I made a deal. Now, was wow. I, so I've, I actually argued with journalism professors. So now you're wrong to make a deal. No, I'm not. I wasn't wrong. 
You got to do what you got to do. It's nothing unethical. Did I have the exclusive? I was going to report the story anyway. Yeah. I still reported it exclusively, breaking news. No one else had it except I had an interview with him to go into the story. I came out way ahead. Yeah. You did your <laughs> journalistic duty by getting the information in the first place, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that I think that answers your question because I did have something I, I really couldn't write. I knew what was going on, but I didn't have absolute confirmation from the people that know. But I was able to kind of leverage that into having a probably the, the biggest story I ever had, you know, all things considered. It doesn't seem that way now, but at the time, whoa. I can't imagine St. Louis opening the paper yeah. and reading that, oh, people, how floored they were. People just went crazy. Couldn't believe it, you know? I'm Could not believe it. To think of what the Because there's not be that now. many scoops anymore like that. No. It just doesn't happen. Because with Twitter now, everything leaks out. Right. Or people would have, if because of social media, now... You can't even have a damn meeting in the Cleveland airport if you're a St. Louis uh, management team and a New York coach. Somebody would see you and then take a photo and it's on it's on Instagram or Twitter. Absolutely. The last thing I can remember really being shocked by was when Andrew Luck retired. Yeah, that was. Because it came out of nowhere. Right. There was no rumblings about this and it was done. Right. And he's on the sideline right. of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. you're not shocked by much anymore. No, 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 not at all. So... That would be the one. It's kind of hard to top that one. Yeah, it's pretty But there's a, b- a bunch of million other little things that you just you just can't write and or you're not sure. Well, hell, you, you, you we were working together back in the day. I you know, I had that Matt Matt Painter thing. Oh yeah. It's funny. I talked about it on my show today. Everybody gets things wrong. As it turns out, I was right except I just went too soon with the information because yeah. he changed his mind at the end. But at the time, it was absolutely right. He was coming to Mizzou, but Purdue talked him out of it at the last second. So I was but in I, the room when you got the call. I know. You remember that? <laughs> I'll never. It was Cardinals home opener. Oh, my gosh. Which is a religion here, as Just everyone crazy. knows. You spoke on the air about it. You tweeted it. Yeah. And then in the time that you drove from the station down to Bush it Stadium. It was tough. He changed his mind. He did. And I, I killed myself over that. And I even called the paper and I said, look, suspend me. I deserve to be suspended. Uh, and they said, we're not going to do that. I said, no, go ahead. I, I should be suspended. But Dan Dockich and other people through the years just said, no, man, you were 100% right. He was gone. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. he, they, gave, they gave him everything he asked for, so he decided to stay. But there was a lesson there. And, it, you know, he, today it still, it still applies today. You know, Twitter is, is really good. Social media is really good. Uh, even you get to put up with trolls and all that. But... When it comes to reporting things, it's just like, don't, you got to resist that impulse to rush forward. Sure. You know, make sure you curate it and make sure it's it's absolutely solid, you know. I don't know how people do that now. I know. You want to be the first and on Twitter it's time stamped, but you better be very, very careful. <laughs> I had such a great source on that story too. I can't say who it was, uh-huh. but if I didn't, I never would have rushed forward, but I shouldn't have rushed forward. That was my mistake. I remember, too, I was producing for you and in the room when Albert Pujols decided to leave, and yeah. you spoke to Mo. Oh, yeah, he called. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember he was calling you, yeah. and then I looked on Twitter and was like, what? And then I pieced it all together that that's why he was calling yeah. you, to let you know before you went on the air and before yeah. you wrote what happened. Yeah, and he was, I uh, never heard him so despondent um, ever, you know, because he thought, First of all, they didn't want to break the relationship up, but they also thought they'd probably take a beating publicly. I don't think they did. No. Um, he took one. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. You know, so it's um, things like that. And then were you were you uh, producing at the time? Another great story. 
like Mark McGuire calls me out of the blue. I don't know if I this, was. This is after he had been in hibernation forever. And the steroid stuff had all broke, and he was just damaged goods. And that's when Larusa wanted to bring him back as a hitting coach, but he knew he had to go on a kind of a rehab tour. So I was one of the first calls he made. I'm like, huh? <laughs> I'm sitting in this one of these offices right here. What? Mar oh, hi, Mark. What? You know, what can I do for you? You know, you want to come on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> Care so, to yeah. discuss it on my show? <laughs> so yeah, those kind of calls are always really interesting. So I could do this with you forever, but I know, you, unfortunately I have to go. I have to get on the air. So I have one Well, yeah, you knew it would be a long-winded interview. What the hell? Last question. Yeah. One word you would use to describe your career. Uh, is dreamlike a word? It can be hyphenated. Because I exceeded my expectations, that's all. Simple as that. I have like three hours of college credit to my name, self-made man, worked from the bottom up. All I want to do is be a newspaper man that made, you know, 30000 a year you know, happily ever after. My wildest dreams came true. So I'm just, it's ridiculous, actually. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was great to <laughs> chat with you. You've heard these damn stories so many Not times. Not all of them. I, know, I didn't know I the, know. the Keenan story. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that was some. But no, I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me um, be long-winded on your podcast, Small Talk. Well, we've been doing this for the past three weeks here on Small Talk, getting some information on wagering from the expert in the game, John Price of Sports Information Traders, who joins me now. And, John, I know it feels like football is winding down now that we've arrived at conference championship weekend in college football and we're three-fourths of the way through the NFL season. But I know there's still so much opportunity with the time remaining in the football season to make some money. There really is. I mean, you can, you can look at one weekend or one month as an opportunity to make an investment. And that's kind of how we look at it at Sports Information Traders. I mean, ideally, we are a long-term investment opportunity. We talk about that a lot. But you've also heard me talk about big games, big weekends. There's opportunity in days, in weeks, in months. And as we sit here with the conference championships in college football approaching, we got the last quarter of the NFL season coming, you got the NFL playoffs, you got the bowl games in college football. There's still so much opportunity to make money doing this. And there is no prerequisite with our company. It's not like you're going to get on the phone with one of my analysts and they're going to say, if you don't have X number of dollars, you can't do this. This is a budget situation like anything else in your life. You're not going to walk into a grocery store and spend more than you can handle. You're not going to invest in the stock market with more than you can handle. And that's the same thing here. You need to understand that what we do is show you how to make money through sports wagering. And it's as simple as that. You can call us at any time, 866-441-2711. Give us a call. Speak to my analysts. Ask them questions about our program, how to get started and how it works. And let them explain it to you further if you don't understand it at this point. They really do need to give you a call, John, not only because you guys are experts in what you do and you can help them make money, but I know we're in the holiday season. We had Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all sorts of big specials going on. And I know you guys at Sports Information Traders have something going on as well. We do. We're offering 70% off on the remainder of our football season. That includes the college season. That includes the championship games that are coming up this weekend. And that includes the rest of the NFL season. We want people to understand the value of doing this. And I know that anybody who gets involved in a Black Friday or a Cyber Monday, they do it because they believe in their product and they want people to come in at a lower level in terms of investment so that they can experience that at the highest level. Same thing here. We're not doing anything different by giving you 70% off. The only thing that's changing is your investment is considerably 
lower. You're still going to get the hands-on touch from one of our analysts telling you exactly what place to be on, how to place the wagers, and how much to put on those wagers. So give us a call. Go to our website, sportsinformationtraders.com. I just want to emphasize, we do not place bets. So you need to have an online account to do that. You want to speak to my analysts. They can tell you where to look, where to go, how to look into it. Very simple. Give us a call, 866-441-2711. We don't place bets, but we can help you in terms of getting set up with our company. It sounds like a no-brainer, John. Wagering is fun. You can make people money. All they have to do is pick up the phone, give you a call, and you're going to walk them through the process. Yeah, I think we talked about this last week a little bit. We look at the month of December as a spending month, and there's no question about it. It's impossible not to spend money in December, whether it's Christmas, whether it's birthdays, whether it's travel. People are coming, so you got to buy things. You're traveling, so you got to buy things. Maybe you live in a cold climate, you're traveling to warm, or you live in a warm climate, you're traveling to cold. However it is, we know that this is a month to spend. But in my world, this is a month to make money. The bowl games that are coming, that's money-making. The college football playoffs that's coming, that's money-making. The last quarter of the NFL season, with the success we've had already, picking the right games and the right wagers, that's all coming. So look at this month. Look at the month of December as an opportunity to make money, not just to offset your expenses, but to put money in your pocket so that when that calendar flips in 2020, you've made money in December despite your expenses. Get it started now. Go to our website, sportsinformationtraders.com. We're going to give you 70% off on the rest of the college football season. It includes the championship games this weekend. And let's put it this way. Every week, there's hundreds of games to analyze. When you give a company like ours a handful of games, like what is occurring this weekend, to analyze every side of it, we win every single game Make this the weekend you get started with sportsinformationtraders.com. He's John Price, Sports Information Traders, 866-441-2711, or like he said, sportsinformationtraders.com. John, thank you so much for the information. Thank you, Michelle. Sit back, relax, close your eyes, take a deep breath. It's time for a review on the Small Talk Podcast with Michelle Smallman, brought to you by Land Rover St. Louis. It is, in fact, time for a review, and Anthony is here. Anthony, hello. Oh, hey, what's up? I know you enjoyed my conversation this week with Bernie Mickles, didn't you? I did. It's so funny. Bernie and I addressed it off the top of the podcast. When I left the morning show, everyone thought there was some sort of salacious reason why. Instead of that, no, I just didn't like the hours and got a better opportunity at work. Wait, wait, salacious? Does that mean like something mischievous or devious or something like, oh. Yeah, like scandalous. Oh, wow, salacious. Headline worthy. Oh. People were sending me emails and messages, strangers saying, did something go down with you and Bernie? And I was like, no, I'm sure Bernie would change his hours if he could too. Yeah, right? Don't let's get up that early. So it was fun to chat with him. It's weird when you spend... So much time with someone in a confined space, and then you switch things up, and you don't see them often. It's strange. It's weird. Yes. Anyway, let's get to the review. This one comes from Natty by Nature, one, two, three, four. Oh, shit. Natty train. (laughs) Killer name. Natty says, the best. Five stars. This podcast gets me through my day. Love small talk and all of her anecdotes. Thanks, Natty. 
so Anthony and I were at the K Flay Meg Meyer show last night. Mm-hmm. Shout out to our friends at the point for putting on great concerts. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. How great were they? They were really good. I'm always blown away by Meg Meyer's voice. Like it's so much more powerful than like her tiny little body is. You know what I was blown away by in addition to that? K Flay can flow. No, she got bars. She with got the, bars. She's not like Busta Rhymes or Twista with yeah. her cadence and her pacing. She was incredible. Yeah, she got some flows. I put on my Insta story. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, no. I wanted to go back after the show and uh, and go through a couple of lyrics just to make sure I heard what I thought I heard because she was. I mean, she was quick, but it was good. It was clear, and I was like, man, did she really say that? She was good. Man. If you're looking for any artists to check out, highly recommend Meg Myers. Highly recommend K Flay, who I got to meet after the show because uh, of our friend Lux. Shout out Lux. Yeah. Life hack, find a friend that's much cooler than you. Oh, I know, right? That should invite you to cool shit. Always the plan. Yeah, Lux, uh, who gets to introduce the bands on stage, casually comes up and was like, hey, I have all these backstage passes. Do you want to go back and meet K-Flay? Uh, yeah, of course I do. She couldn't have been cooler. Her band was back there. It was a very chill vibe, but she was really nice and funny. And it's always so strange for me. I guess it's similar to me with athletes, how people watch athletes do these unbelievable things that they could never do in their life. And then you see them after the game and they're regular humans. But to see her on stage being such a force, such a presence, have uh, such talent. And then she's backstage chilling with us. She's just a regular person. I was really digging her Andrew W.K. vibe with just all white, but then torn jeans. It was cool. She is cool. She's very cool. Well, that is Anthony. Hi. I am Michelle. Bye. Thank you to Anthony. Thank you to Bernie. Thank you to John Price. We're going to be back in action next week. Still TBD on the guest. We're working on some fun stuff. But until then, it's been real. Bye. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.